I'm so thankful that our family was not wealthy. You know, Teresa and I got married and we drove a $50 car. We were married 20 years before we spent $10,000 in total on automobiles. Now, we had some help along the way. You know, we had a customer that said, you know, you really should drive a better car. I'm getting ready to either give my car to the Salvation Army or, 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 or give it to you. We said, well, what is it? You know, a Lincoln Town car. I drove Teresa around the block. She got it. She said, where do I sign? He sold us a Lincoln Town car for a dollar. We drove it for two years. I mean, you know, when you direct market, would you believe that there are actually people out there who want to patronize your product and want you to be more successful than you? Can you believe that? I mean, in our dog-eat-dog, you know, Enron, bank bailout, GM, whatever, you know, business world, it's hard to believe that there are actually people who you can relationally market to and who want you to be successful. And so Richard has a built-in incentive to take care of customers, to find new markets, because we're not out there. You know, he's out there. So as this all grew, it became more than Sherry could handle. So she needed to break off, so she decided, I'll keep, I'll keep the Metropolitan Buying Clubs Let's find somebody else to do the restaurant sales, weekly restaurant sales. So we found another young gal there in the community and gave her, on the commission basis, the restaurants, and they've continued to grow and grow. And again, here's another gal. She works from home part-time. She does about three different things. Again, another homeschooler. Um, is there a theme here? Um, and, and, and she, you know, she's whatever, 27, something like that. And she has now carved out for herself this wonderful uh, income working from home. I mean, because she makes the calls every Tuesday. All she has to do is come over to the farm every Thursday when everything gets put on the delivery truck, you know, to, to do the invoices and handle all that. But she gets a straight commission. She's not guaranteed a penny. She lives or dies based on sales. So there are several other producers in the area, about six produce growers, a, an artisanal cheese maker. They now use Hannah as well. So Hannah's now their marketer. That leverages her phone calls. She gets a commission for their sales. And she makes a nice living off of making Tuesday phone calls to restaurants. Basically a one day a week frantic day, yes, calling all these chefs, but it's a one-day-a-week deal. She can do other things other times a week, but all on commission. By running commission-based enterprises, it creates room for people to start that doesn't jeopardize the, you know, the current uh, uh, business with an investment that might not come back. And it completely rewards performance. All right? So then the restaurants grew even more than Hannah could handle. And so we decided, well, let's break off the Washington, D.C. restaurants. Because we already had a commission and we had a delivery rate, Susan came on board. She works from home in D.C., and does all the DC marketing and delivery, and because she's doing all the delivery too, she gets the entire delivering amount and the marketing commission. Okay? 
So I hope you're seeing the progress. It starts with the children appreciating the, the autonomy of children and, and letting them build their own fiefdoms. Everybody needs a fiefdom, don't they? We all want a fiefdom. So they let them build their own fiefdoms, and then we take that idea to other people. So we run um, an intern and apprentice program. And the interns come for four months, June 1 to September 30. That's the starting point. That's boot camp. That's, you know, everybody comes and, 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 and does that. And then at the midpoint, they can apply to be an apprentice. And that's 12 months. Okay. At the midpoint of the internship, we have a sit down with all the interns and ask them, time and money are not an issue. What would you like to do? And many of them would like to stay with us. And so we don't say, okay, we'll give you a job. Instead, we say, okay, you've been here a few months. You see the, the operation. Bring us a compensation package. Bring us a plan. And we then put on them the onus to create their salary. You know how liberating that is for me and for us Salatons to not feel like we have to provide jobs for people. Rather, we put the monkey on their back and say, bring us a proposal. And so several years ago, about six or seven years ago, I really um, started dropping hints about I would like, I'd sure like to be able to eat communally Monday through Friday, but, you know, we can't fix all the meals. You know, there's about 20 of us or so. Um, you know, but I would sure like to have the camaraderie and community feel of all the interns, apprentices, and us, and everybody, you know, eating together Monday through Friday at the evening meal. How do you do that? And so we started, you know, dropping little hints around. Well, another hint that I dropped around was I'd like a gardener. See, I like a garden. Daniel doesn't like a garden. Um, Daniel's looking, you know, he, he, he likes the animals and all that, and he just never liked the garden. I, 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 we always had a wonderful garden when we were first starting, and I wasn't so busy traveling and doing this stuff, and I like the garden. I like to be able to walk out the back door and just feel like I'm, I'm nested in abundance. You know, I just like that, that feel, all right? Daniel being ultimately functional, you know, he says, look, in the amount of time it takes me to pick a bushel of green beans, I can raise $1,000 worth of chickens and go to the farmer's market and buy green beans. And, and, you know, I get that. As a dad, I have to be willing to say, that's okay. So now suddenly, the burden is on me, and if I want this garden, if I want this thing, and I can't force Daniel to do it, and I don't want to force Daniel to do it, because that changes all sorts of things. So if I want this, how can we get this done so everybody wins, so Daniel doesn't have to do it, and I get what I want. So I started putting these drops around. And about six years ago, one of our former uh, interns called me and said, hey, you know, is that, is that chef position still open? I said, absolutely. So is that gardener's position still open? Absolutely. So Dan came as a chef slash gardener, created his own compensation package. I'll do the chefing for this much, do the garden for this much, and he invoices us, all right? 
And he was there two years. He did the shiitake mushrooms. He started that business. The, I, the, the point is, he was not an employee. He was billing us as a professional farmer. Imagine that. A professional farmer who gives invoices for their production. A price maker instead of a price taker. Wow, that's an amazing concept. And so what has developed are what we call memorandums of understanding. So we don't have employees per se. What we have are memorandums of understanding that define a time, polyface obligations, the partner collaborators obligations, the compensation, and every one of them carries a non-litigation clause. We will, not, we will not form collaborative arrangements with anybody that is willing to sue anybody. And so everybody has to sign this thing that says, my fault, your fault, nobody's fault, no matter what happens, nobody sues anybody. Okay? We think that's the only way to really have a shared, you know, relationship. Because if there's always that little idea of somebody, you know, suing, it, it, it colors everything. And so, so now, you know, we have these memorandums of understanding in place. So we rent these farms. We rent nine farms in the area. Several of them have housing on them. Some of them don't. And so we have young people that want to stay with the team that are creating their own package. Well, I'd like to move cows, move pigs, um, have a garden, um, you know, do a pair of eggmobiles and raise 4,000 broilers. And so what we've done is create numerous compensation uh, um, uh, benchmarks, amounts, for how much risk the person wants to take. Some young, some young people come with a little bit of nest egg, and they, they want to capitalize a little bit. Others don't have a penny to their name. So we incentivize the, the compensation packages to incentivize risk. Because this is where tension comes in. If somebody says, I want to raise 4,000 broilers for you, under the polyface you know, label. All right, fine, we want you to do that. Well, if we go out there and we own the chickens and we buy the feed and all that, and all they're getting paid is piecework like so much of marketable chicken, if we go out there and a bunch of wasted feed is on the ground, that's a point of, 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 of tension because it's our feet. You know, so um, three years ago, we had um, two subcontractors. One owned their chickens and one didn't. We had a 100-degree day. Daniel called both of them and said, look, it's going to be 100 degrees this week. You know, get things, um, you know, aerated so that we can handle this, this heat. One didn't get anything done, went out and had 100 suffocated chickens in the, in the field shelters. Now, we didn't like it, but we weren't frustrated. We weren't frustrated. Well, yeah, we were. But, but we, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't a big deal because they were his chickens. He owned them. He bought the chicks, owned the chickens, bought the feed, owned the, the shelters, the whole deal. Okay? The other guy didn't open up his brooder and suffocated 700 chicks. They were our chicks. 
attention. As my grandson says, who's eight, uh, Andrew, he's a, he's, a, he's a real chick magnet already at eight, and all the little girls, you know, they're all planning their marriages. Here's our house. Here's where we're going to live and all this stuff. And whenever they come up to Andrew and start, you know, smoothing his hair and, you know, loving on him, he just looks around and says, Awkward! Awkward! Well, that's the way it was with this subcontractor that had the suffocated chicks. All right? Awkward! All right? So what we, so, so we, we write these MOUs, Memorandums of Understanding, to incentivize them owning as much of it as possible, to take those points of, of tension, those possible you know, misunderstandings, misperceptions, and things out of it so that they share risk. The main thing I'm trying to get to is that the farm, the business, is gradually taking on the product line and the, and the, 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 the um, persona, not so much of me, but of the gifts and talents that we have at any one time. I can't tell you how liberating that is. Suddenly now, I'm not necessarily responsible for this, you know, big ship and visioning and making sure all this happens and, and providing jobs and, and making sure everything gets done. Now, all I am is a germination tray to allow these young people to plant their seeds and sprout in my germination tray. And that's ultimately extremely liberating. So several years ago, Bree wanted to stay. I said, okay, Bree, so what do you want to do? He said, well, I really like kids, and it bums me that the farm isn't providing school tours for, for children. You know, we just don't have the personnel for it. He said, could I, could I do that as a business? I said, Absolutely. Slam dunk. Good deal. So we birthed the grass stains tours. The grass stains tours. It was Bree's business. Okay? We charged a certain amount per tour. Polyface got a little bit as a royalty, okay? She got the lion's share of it. Her business, she markets it. She developed the curriculum, decided where to go, how long, two hours, talked with teachers, talked with parents. I mean, we had everything from Boy Scout troops to Cub Scouts to, to, to um, you know, middle schools, high schools, urban schools, rural schools, home schools. I mean, you name it. I mean, we just, uh, Montessori, I mean, everything, okay? And in just her second year, she did 60 farm tours. But it was her business. We didn't even know when people were coming. You know, if we saw a bus come in and a bunch of kids walking across the meadow, we, oh, I guess Bree has a tour. And it allows us to duplicate, to leverage our resource base without us having to run it, do it, and all that. Okay? It's incredibly um, um, leveraging. All right? So, you know, so last year when Bree decided, you know, that's the one problem with running a farm with a bunch of young people, you know, they got dreams and fantasies and things to do and places to go. So he said, I really want to go to the uh, Ballymaloe Irish Cooking Culinary School. Okay, well, I'm really bummed. What are we going to do with our, I mean, we have 60 tours, I mean, adults, I mean, this is a huge Outreach, you can, I mean, they all come with adults who become customers, buy stuff at the store. I mean, it's a very, you know, symbiotic uh, deal. Oh, no, what are we going to do? See, 
That's the tough part of this, is allowing myself to release these enterprises and realize if we don't have a young person that wants to step up and do this, it's okay. We won't do it. Fortunately, one of our last year's interns was trying to create his compensation package to take one of the farms. He said, I'd really like to do those grass stains tours. So he's up and running. He's just taking it right over from B, and it's seamless continuity right into the future. But by having it a totally independent enterprise, it makes it real easy for it to move from person to person and just bequeath these enterprises to different people. When Dan left with the shiitake mushrooms, nobody wanted to do the shiitake mushrooms. So, you know, we're just harvesting, but we're not taking care of them. And, and it's okay, and we won't deal with them until somebody steps up and wants to do it. The whole idea is to create customized fiefdoms so that people are autonomous and have the authority to run their own fiefdom within your, your umbrella. And you can't believe how many things you could get done that way. So, you know, uh, when, when, when um, so, so Leanna, uh, who was our product manager, married Eric, our apprentice manager. And um, so she didn't want to do the garden. She'd done it for two years. And so she wanted to concentrate on being a wife and, a, and, do, and continuing with the product inventory. Oh, no, I lost my gardener. Now what am I going to do? So just a few miles away, there's a young, energetic homeschooler gal that's graduating this spring. And she's desperate to come and do a garden and be, serious, uh, be a serious farmer. So we can move Leanna's and Dan's memorandums of understanding seamlessly over. So the way the garden works is the gardener pays their royalty to us for having this opportunity is so many pounds of product. There's no money, okay, for, for Sherry and Teresa, for our personal canning and larder and all that, okay. All right. So we, we describe that. That's the first thing. And then... They put down everything they want to grow and how much they want to get paid for it. We don't tell them how much we're going to pay. You give us your price. Okay? Now, by faith, we, we are assuming that we can work with the price that they're working with. All right? I mean, if they were somebody we couldn't trust, we wouldn't want to partner with them. All right? So they create their compensation. And then we agree on a tier of marketing. Because remember, yes, there is freedom, but it has to be freedom that fits. For example, a subcontractor that wants to say, I want to grow 30,000 chickens. No, we can't do that. We can't sell 30,000 chickens. Okay? So it has to fit with what we're doing. We're coordinating all these. And so, um, so, so she carves all this out. So her first market is to the farm kitchen for the farm chef. And we've now replaced Bree for the farm chef. So we have a lady coming. Um, she, you know, she's going to be our farm chef for this year. And so she's going to do that. Um, and she will buy, like we've been doing in the past, buy the vegetables from the gardener. So rather than, rather than being employees, the farm chef 
bills us an invoice as a professional, and the gardener gives us an invoice for the food that goes through the kitchen, it completely changes the arrangement when she is providing invoices for what she produces rather than just collecting a paycheck out of the polyface kitty. Are you with me? It completely changes the arrangement. So she owns the business. Now, once she, so that's her first market is the kitchen. Second market is the on-farm store. So she can produce as much as she wants for the on-farm store. Then she, if, she, if she produces more than that, then she can sell them through Hannah to the restaurants. And, and if she produces more than that, then you know, we have to talk about it. But anyway, that's, that's, the, that's the prioritization of the market that we all agree that this, these, are the, these are priorities in the market and you can do as much as you want within that. And if ultimately you produce something that you can't sell, you get to eat it. We don't owe you a penny for that. It's your business, okay? That protects us from her just going hog wild on something that she really likes to grow but can't sell. And it incentivizes her to be market savvy. What are people buying? Let me, let me get some counsel here and ask, you know, what are people buying? So that's what I'm going to grow. See? And she is able to grow as much as she wants to within that. All right? So I got my gardener. And I get to walk out and enjoy this, you know, wonderful garden. And there it is. So last year, Heather wanted to stay. She wanted to run one of the farms. Okay, good, because one of those gals was, was moving to get married. She was going up to Maine to get married. Okay, great. So that opened up one of the farms. But that farm did not generate enough with the cows to pay a full-time salary. Well, last summer, we hatched our own chicks for the first time. We got an incubator and hatched about 500 chicks because we're getting very, very um, disenchanted with hatchery chicks. Uh, even, even the non-hybrids and the old standard American varieties. And so, you know, we're a believer in, in, uh, in survival genetics. Um, you know, don't do anything, don't medicate, don't vaccinate, don't do anything, and keep breeding the survivors, and you get strength, okay? Um, you know, don't tell the, you know, humane society. They'll take you to court for animal abuse if you do that. But that's what we do. All right. So, um, it's true. I mean, we've bambiated and thumperided our culture to the point where everybody thinks that every animal needs an air-conditioned anteroom on an L.L. Bean monogram chair. <laughs> I mean, three years ago, we spent three days with state veterinaries with an animal abuse charge. Some lady drove by our herd of cows on one of the rental farms, and these you know, 300 head were all you know, up at the gate ready for their 4 o'clock move, called 911. This is abusive. These animals are all crowded up. Crowds are stressful. Ew. Crowds are stressful. So we get to spend three days with animal abuse charges. I, that's why they call them a herd. You know, wouldn't it be great to live in a society where the animal abuse officer could laugh at the lady and say, Lady, you're stupid. Bye. But no, they've got to... They've got to take three days of our time and go through this full, you know, bureaucratic report at taxpayers' expense for some, you know, fifi lady on her way to the garden club who doesn't know. Anyway, um, what's our time like? Okay, um, so, 
So where, oh, so Heather, so so um, Heather said, well, um, I, I think I would like to hatch chicks. So Heather's MOU, so we sat down and agreed on how much per chick, both pullets and cockerels. This is creating a very new conundrum for us because we don't, we really don't want to feed the cockerel chicks to the pigs if we can help it. And so we'd like to grow them out. So the big unknown this summer is, can we market these cockerels as, you know, uh, pasture genetic, old heritage type, you know, nativized genetics survivor. You know, they didn't survive our knife, but they survived everything else. Um, you know. And, you know, can, can we market these? You know, brown meat, orange fat, I mean, they are to die for, Okay. The question is, can we market them? We tried this about 12 years ago, and, uh, and we, we, just, we just could not get enough market to, to move these uh, cockerels. So we're going to try it again. Hopefully, you know, with Paleo and, and Weston A. Price and some savvy people, hopefully we'll be able to do it. And if we don't, you know, maybe we'll, uh, you know, maybe we'll develop a commercial kitchen and turn it into, you know, chicken stew or something and, and uh, um, sell it that way. Anyway, we, we really don't want to just throw away the cockerels just for a lot of reasons like the industry does, and, and so we're, you know, we're dealing with that. But at, at the end of the day, if we can't come up with any solution, you know, we will feed the chicks to the pigs. The pigs will like it. Um, so, so Heather, so we've carved out for Heather a, an amount per, you know, pullet chick, an amount per cockerel chick, and it's her baby she handles everything, does all the, all the uh, scheduling, uh, the setting of the eggs, the, you know, the, 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 the candling, the checking, all that stuff. It's her business, and she invoices us for the chicks. So here's the deal. Over time, you can look at the farm business and look at all your large expenses and say, all right, can we internalize these? So the final one I'll just share with you is uh, um, last year one of our apprentices was done and he wanted to stay with us, Jonathan. So, well, Jonathan, what do you want to do? And, and, and I had been dropping tidbits that there has to come a time where our, our off-farm repair shop bills can pay for a full-time salary. Now, I don't know where that magic, you know, that magic tip-over you know, point is, but there's a point. I mean, you know, we're a, we're a two and a half, over two and a half million dollar uh, business, okay? So, we, you know, we run seven tractors, and you know, we got like 200 tires, and, you know, we keep the local tire store in business, and, and so, you know, th this is a going concern, okay? There's, there's a lot going on here, all right? And so, I've been dropping these little, you know, just thinking out loud about these things, and Jonathan picked up on this. Well, Jonathan was a wonderful apprentice. I mean, he would rather weld than eat, I mean, he loves the shop. He loves fabrication, loves it. I mean, I do it, but I do it reluctantly. I do it because I have to, okay? But, but I, don't, I don't love it. And um, Jonathan loves it. And so he said, um, well, I'd like to take one of the farms as a subcontractor. Fine. And I'd like to offer you the services of a shop foreman. And so we agreed on an amount, and so he has started his own business called Farm Fix, 
in our shop that we've given him the freedom to gut the shop, pull it all out, redo it. I mean, he's hung lights in there. We're pouring concrete in there. He's got, I mean, he's already built tables. And, and, and I mean, he's turned this into, a, into a, a, a pretty cool shop. And for the first time in my life, I can go out in the field and break something and bring it back and just drop it off at the shop door and say, fix it. <laughs> and you know how cool that is? Not only that, but now he has a launch pad to develop his own shop, farm, combo business. So he's going to do one pair of eggmobiles, move a group of cows, and take, four, and take the 20-acre uh, pig field over there next to that rental farm. And he's not going to do any broilers or anything like that. And so he doesn't want to do any of those. So that's his package. Somebody else... You know, they want to do a bunch of broilers and, um, and only do, you know, one pair of eggmobiles or whatever. Um, you know, we, we've, had, we've had young people come that want to do um, soap, you know, so we've, we've sold soap. Um, we, you know, uh, my brother's honey, you know, he, he does honey. He's an airplane mechanic and he likes to do the honey. So he, the honey is his business, all right? Um, Eric, this spring, he tapped all the uh, sugar maple trees. He's made 20 gallons of maple syrup that he'll sell for himself. Polyface doesn't need to get any of that. I'm just tickled that he's able to leverage something that we weren't using. The sap was there for all these years. It just wasn't being used. If he can make a couple thousand bucks off of it, I told Eric, I said, now you know that this maple syrup is worth a lot more as maple sugar donuts. <laughs> Not just maple syrup. Always trying to get them to value add, you know. Always think about how do you value add. But the idea is, I'm not trying to grow my own wealth or our own estate or whatever. My pleasure, my deepest pleasure comes from seeing these young people find their niche, find their place of opportunity, and then sprout on our germination tray. And because we don't have employees, it creates room for that to happen. If I were defining, here's what I want done, this, this, this. Do you want this? Do you want, no, you don't. Okay, you want that. If I were defining on it, the dynamics would be completely different. Does everybody follow me? The dynamics would be completely different. So from a business model, we find this incredibly um, encouraging and empowering. To find partners, to find people that will come in as non-employees, but rather incentivize fiefdom autonomous partners to leverage resources that you have. And I think that as we move, as we move that kind of a of a, uh, a team business model forward, not only does it give us a tremendous amount of spontaneity among the different people, you know, I'll, it's like a monopoly game. I'll trade you one fiefdom for two. You know, I'll trade you this enterprise for that enterprise. And they can just trade out around among themselves. That's exactly what they do. I'll trade you this one for that one. And I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, keep, the, I'll keep the three guard dogs this winter. And, uh, and, and, and you can do something else. And, and, and you know, they, they just trade them off. So, you know, when people ask, well, what's the future? I don't have a clue. 
People say, well, you know, what are you doing about energy? What are you doing about, um, you know, sprouts or, you know, biochar or whatever? You know what? My answer is, when the people are here, it'll happen. So we have, you know, we, if a person came tomorrow that wanted to do biomass, uh, um, um, gas, wood biomass powered, uh, you know, steam generation, great. Aquaponics, yeah, man. You know, a, a, a cut flower business? Absolutely. See, here's the thing. When you have a customer base, the easiest thing to do when you have a customer base is not add a new customer, it's add a new product to your existing customer base. If there's one rule of marketing that applies everywhere, it is this. It is much easier to find 100 people who will spend $1,000 with you than 1,000 people who will spend $100 with you. The hard part in marketing is getting the customer the first time. Nobody makes a profit on the first sale. You only make a profit on your second and third and fourth sales. Those become easier and easier. So what we want to do is if we're selling, you know, vegetables and maple syrup, we want to add chicken to that. And if we're selling maple syrup and chicken, we want to sell rabbits to that. And we want to, you know, add uh, pecans. And, and this kind of, of arrangement allows us to do that. You see, most people are not evenly uh, gifted, even as farmers, within producing plants or animals. That's why you tend to see farms that gravitate toward animals and farms that gravitate toward plants. Okay? And you don't generally see expertness on both of those things, because even among farmers. Well, here is a way to do that. I mean, Tell me there's not a thousand acre wheat farm in Kansas that couldn't carve out one four acre spot for you to do a produce operation on. Okay? We're not asking to be an employee of the farmer. All you're asking for is a, is a piece. And, and, as, and if the farmer has to pay you to come and help, that completely changes the, you know, the risk factor. But if you come in and say, I'll build a business... I'll build a pastured poultry operation on your um, uh, beef cattle farm. Now there's no risk. See? I'll, I'll take, I'll tell you what, I'll take a portion of your apples, as much as I can sell as, as cider, I'll invest in the juicing equipment and develop the market, and I'll buy them at your price and let me have them to turn them into cider. You can start a whole cider business without an apple tree. Okay, building an additional income on that existing place. So we have carved out, you know, we, we now appreciate that there are open-ended numbers of opportunities on our place. I mean, you could have everything from vineyard to orchard to nut trees to lumber. I mean, we came real close to having a, a, a woodworker come. He was a crackerjack woodwork. We've got this wonderful sawmill. We're in black walnut, cherry, you know, white oak country, you know, the Appalachians. Um, you know, the sawmill only gets run about, you know, 40 days a year. That thing ought to be run 250 days a year, okay? So it's just sitting there. Infrastructure not being utilized. All it takes is a little more grease and a couple more blades, you know, and a couple of oil changes. 
and you're you know, low leverage. So you want to build a woodworking business on the farm and do toys and furniture stuff to our customer base. One guy came by, and he didn't do it because his wife didn't want to live in Pennsylvania, but, but, but the opportunity was there. Another one came by, he was a, he was a, a, a mason that built these clay um, bread ovens. He was a baker and built these clay bread. Sure, come on, build it. I'm sure our customers would like bread. And we came this close, and he, his uh, wife inherited a farm in Missouri, so they took off the farm. I can't be, 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 you know, begrudge that either. But I hope, I hope that at this point, you're starting to realize that your place and my place and the place that you aren't even on yet, there are, there are so many development possibilities out there that you can't even go to sleep at night for all the potentials. But how we structure the money and the business arrangement is what gives wiggle room, trust capacity, and risk forgiveness in these kind of untested waters. And so uh, I hope that the idea of developing fiefdoms of responsibility on autonomy and authority um, is a word that will resonate. Can everybody say fiefdoms with me? Fiefdoms. Okay, remember that because I think that that is an answer to all of these tricky little employee, high-risk, you know, insurance, um, workman's comp, I mean, all these things. The reason that a lot of people are scared of growing their business is because they're scared of the business aspects of business. But with the fiefdom memorandum of understanding, it takes all of those business aspects and those compliance issues out of the equation and frees both parties to, you know, to, to, to dance. And that's what we desperately need to create. Fields of farmers. My dream is that all of this 50% of America's farmland is going to change hands in the next 15 years. Rather than being centralized and gobbled up by you know, foreign investors and, 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 and you know, centralized interests and being amalgamated, conglomerated, and adulterated, and prostituted, and whatever else happens to this land, that in fact, we will see an exponential entrepreneurial explosion of young, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed self-starters to decentralize, bring the economy from the urban to the rural, what I call the reverse cash flow, where the wealth in the country begins to reside in the information, the management, and the visionary savvy of a new generation of young people who will take this and love it and nurture it and bring redemption into our rural landscapes and our food systems. God help us to do it. Thank you very much for letting me visit you. Thank you.